S&P 500 has closed positive in April in 15 of the last 16 years, according to LPL Financial. And April is routinely celebrated as one of the best months of the years for stocks. Now, the S&P has been higher 70% of the time in April. That's an interesting, interesting point. And April is historically the best month of the year for stocks, with the S&P 500 gaining an average of 1.7% in all Aprils since 1945. Now, remember that date. The all-month gain is only 0.7%. So 1.7 is better than 1.7. But midterm elections do play havoc with this great statistic for April. April in midterm years only ranks as the seventh best month. So given the Ukraine war, the price of oil and commodities generally, the inflation concerns as well, and the fact that the Fed looks likely to raise interest rates by 0.5% in April this year, this could prove to be one of those more annoying Aprils. Possibly helping stocks could be earnings season in the US. And if this surprises on the high side, then April could end up being better than other midterm Aprils. But that's a bit of a, bit of a, a, a bet. For this period of reporting, the overall S&P 500 is expected to see earnings growth of 4.7% according to recent data from FactSet. Now this would be the lowest rate of growth since quarter one 2020. But because there have been some really big recent gains in earnings in, in previous quarters, this 4.7% growth comes off a pretty high base. What is interesting is over 100 years, July is the best month, followed by December, and April comes in in third place. The midterms ruin the April results. If the Ukraine war ends before around July, this could be a kind of a spark that could fire up stock markets for the rest of this year. Keep your fingers crossed on that one. It would create uh, falling oil prices and commodity prices, which would also help lower inflation, inflation and possibly take the heat out of the scary predictions around a lot of interest rate rises. These developments would help economic growth rebound globally and hopefully by then China is out of its pandemic lockdowns, which we've seen recently. These sorts of developments should be good for stocks. So, if they don't work out, as I hope, well, 2022 will be a year for the pessimists, which is something I'm not too prepared to concede just yet. Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's show, I pose the question, is April a good month for stocks? And I look at the, the history of what April has uh, produced in the US stock market obviously on the idea that what happens in the US ultimately will affect our market. I then asked my expert guests what they think about April 2022. Will it be a good or a bad month for investing? And Julia Lee will also look at the recent sell-offs of miners such as Linus and the lithium stocks. Has it created a buying opportunity? And I'll also ask about her recent additions to a fund. And then I'll ask the same questions of Adam Dawes of Shore and Partners, and he'll give us the stock he really likes right now. I call it the Dawes Destroyer. And then Paul Ricard looks at the big miners, BHP, Rio, and so on, to see if it's too late to buy them, or is it still, are they still in the buy zone? That's the show. Let's kick off with Julia Lee of Berman Invest. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. So, Julia, let's just talk about investing in April. I know historically, if you look at the US market, April's a pretty good month. 
except when it's midterm uh, midterms. But what's your feeling for investing this April? First of all, Pete, it's amazing that, you know, despite all we've been through, the Australian share market is less than 2% away from an all-time record high. So mm. the Aussie share market is doing well. And I think one of the things that has been supporting that is our strong uh, weighting towards the materials as well as the banking space. And if we have a look at 2022, the two places that have done fairly well, mm. um, material space has done very well, the energy space has done very well, and the financial space also on positive ground. On the flip side, though, fees around rising interest rates have hit certain sectors very hard, and that's the tech space as well as the consumer discretionary space. It's hit the tech space hard because um, a lot of the startups are in that space, and as interest rates rise, then investors are less willing to pay a premium for future growth. What they want is stable cash flow now, um, as well as into the future. So Infotech has been hit hard and consumer discretionary on fears of what will happen in terms of household budgets as interest rates go rise, as interest rates rise and that consumers may have less to spend. So look, I think this will continue to play out in April, especially given that the markets are so focused on inflation and rising interest rates at the moment. Today is an example where we saw inflation numbers coming out of China and they were hotter than expected. CPI, uh, consumer price inflation, came in at 1.5%. The market had been expecting 1.3%. And the producer price index, prices for producers, uh, was at 8.5% and the market had been expecting 8.3%. More importantly, the impact that had on the Australian share market was to go from a positive performance to a negative performance. Mm. So we know that... Uh, expectations around inflation and interest rates are a key concern for investors. So that's likely to continue in April, which means focusing on quality companies with stable cash flows and maybe avoiding some of the more speculative stuff. Yeah. So have you been adding any uh, stocks to your fund recently, given what your analysis is for April? We haven't been adding... Uh, a lot to the portfolio or taking away a lot to the portfolio. The stocks have largely remained the same, but we have uh, taken the volatility in terms of market to add to positions and lighten positions. So I guess areas that we're very confident in include lithium and rare earths. So Allchem as well as liners have taken the recent uh, pullback in some of the pricing to pick up stocks. So Allchem adding some more stock in around the $12.70 mark and with Linus under the $10 mark. So there are opportunities when there is this volatility in terms of the markets. And the reason why I like uh, rare earths as well as uh, the lithium space is because we are seeing uh, supply just unable to keep up with demand at the moment, especially in terms of the lithium space where we are seeing record prices. To give you an idea of pricing for lithium carbonate, you know, a year ago, Orkin was talking about lithium carbon pricing around about 8,500 US a tonne. Now for the June quarter, it's going to be approximately 35,000 US Jeez. a tonne. So that gives you an idea of how much things are, are heating up and how quickly they've moved in the space of one year. And those dynamics are likely to continue over the next 12 to 18 months. <clears throat> Julia, what about a company like Fisher & Paykel? Um, I've been asked a lot of questions about it. Uh, what's your view on that company? Sure, I guess if you have a look at Fisher & Paykel, it's a competitor to ResMed as well. So you're looking at sleep apnea products. I think with Fisher & Paykel during COVID, there was an extra boost 
um, in the, the consumables that it's it sold, as well as um, in terms of the respirators uh, for COVID-19. And of course, some of that's died away. So now it's back to the core business of its sleep apnea products uh, like ResMed. There has been a bit of disruption in this area. I think there has been product recalls for some one of its competitors, which may have impacted in terms of the market. But the medium to long-term view is that we have a much better sense of how important sleep is to our well-being and to mm. functioning. Um, and so demand for these type of products is likely to continue to grow in the medium to longer term. So, you know, there is competition and things move around in the short term, depending on new products, as well as product recalls. The medium to long term out to look, mm -hmm. I think looks good, but remember that it is cycling out of some of that COVID-19 positive impact. Yeah. Do you prefer ResMed over Fisher & Paykel? At the moment in the healthcare space, my preference would be CSL because I, I feel like ResMed as well as uh, Fisher & Paykel have had a positive impact because of COVID-19, yeah. whereas CSL has a negative and the cycle's turning for CSL where we are seeing blood plasma collection returning back to more normal levels. So CSL had a hard time collecting blood because of COVID-19, um, but now as things return back to normal and foot traffic returns back to normal, the cycle is starting to normalise, so the outlook is looking brighter. So look, I think the earnings outlook is looking brighter for CSL than the likes of something like ResMed as well as uh, Fisher & Michael. Yeah. I talked up CSL in my Switzer report today, so I'm glad to see you agree with me, um, uh, uh, Julia. Uh, one final thing, um, if you look at the, the big miners, and you've, you've got an exposure to the big miners nowadays, haven't you? Do, do, you still yeah, think, um, do you still think they're on the way up or are we getting close to, to the top? Well, I think BHP at the moment is a cash cow. We're still seeing iron ore prices above 150 US a tonne, which is extremely positive. Um, I did take a little bit off the table today because we did see iron ore prices falling quite steeply in Asia, down around about 4% um, compared to BHP shares, which were virtually flat. Um, but, but really, just in terms of, of the outlook, it really depends on China at the moment. We know that commodities do tend to be a good hedge against inflation. So I'd be looking at perhaps a bit of short-term weakness in terms of China. And if you do like to use those short-term movements, just using that volatility to add to positions, because in the medium term, uh, the inflationary conditions are likely to continue to support commodities and they're generating a lot of cash at the moment. So if you are looking for those Dividends, well, it's probably going to continue to pay them, as well as producers like Orchem. You know, it's a sexy hot area of the market, but they've got enough to fund their growth pipeline and they're generating so much cash at the moment that some, some stage investors will be expecting to see a capital return coming through there. Okay, Let, let's rub the crystal ball for the last question. And let's imagine over the next two or three months, Ukraine comes up with a settlement for peace of some, some kind. And at the same time, China gets on top of its pandemic and starts opening up China again. What would be your view on what could happen to stocks for the rest of the year? Imagine if, say, by July or August, you've got those two big changes. Would you become very positive on stocks for the rest of the year? Yes, I would. Um, I think one of the things that has been impacting it um, negatively on stocks is very high energy prices which acts like an interest rate hike. Mm. Um, so if we did see a, a, a solution to the Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict, fingers crossed, we should see energy prices come right back down again. 
it is concern around um, the security of oil at the moment, especially to Europe, um, that's elevating prices. So that would be a positive for global share markets. Also in terms of China, we know that as COVID-19 hits that there are bottlenecks. Um, and you know, China is still the manufacturing capital of the world. So um, companies where we are seeing a crimp in terms of margins due to the manufacturing process, some of that should start to ease. So having a look at some of that consumer discretionary space very carefully um, will probably be a beneficiary there. Um, and you'll start to see, I guess, uh, some of the shipping costs also potentially coming down as those bottlenecks ease. Yeah, Julia, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. That's Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Yeah, yeah, uh, all good. Um, yeah, yeah. Can't complain. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go see the uh, Grand Prix on the yeah. weekend? Yeah. I was, well, Maureen went to Ladies' Day on Thursday in the Mercedes Star Lounge, and then I went there on Friday with her, um, but di didn't actually go to the race. Yeah. I I'm here nor there about the, the race. Though I must admit, I've, yeah. I have gone to Abu Dhabi twice. And I was imp really impressed. It's a great day. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. How about you? Did you right. go there? Uh, no, well, no. We had, uh, we had a couple of uh, clients that went down there. Yeah. But uh, no, we didn't, I didn't end up going. I watched it on TV and that was about it, you know. Yeah. But I did, I did buy my assistant um, uh, two tickets for his Christmas present because he loves the Formula One. So mm bought him like four day pass for two of his, two, well, for him and a mate, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was good. That was yeah. good. All right, buddy, let's go. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. My next guest is Adam Dawes of Shore and Partners. And I want to talk about how he's investing in April. Uh, great to see you, mate. Yeah, it's really good to see you too, Peter. Thanks very much. Mm. April, it's going yeah. to be a tough one, isn't it? Don't you think? Well, yeah, it's funny. If you look at the US, April is a very good month. You know, 15 out of the last 16, the market was up pretty strongly. But midterm years aren't, aren't good. They're the ones that can be really struggling for April. What's your view on April? Yeah, look, look, and we'll, let's just take Australia because, I mean, we could talk for, for decades about what's happening in the US and, and everything else. But look, Australia... Certainly, we know that there's going to be some interest rate rises in June and we, we know there's going to be some interest rate rises in August. And inflation is definitely one of those ones that is really going to potentially uh, unnerve markets going forward. But what really has been lifting our market and will continue to lift our market is the commodities. Mm -hmm. The commodities. And I saw a headline today saying, is there another super cycle about to happen in commodities? Now, I don't think that that is going to happen. I think, you know, certainly we've seen some really good numbers coming out of the commodity space. But really, at the end of the day, it's been one of those ones that has been pretty tough for us to try and master and trying to get get moving. I definitely think the commodity market is going to hold up our market. And April is definitely going to be one of those ones where you want to be in front or not chasing, but in front of those commodity stocks. So there's some, there's some other stocks that we're going to talk about in a mm. second that well, I think are really good buys at the moment. But certainly even BHP today coming out with their Woodside demerger and what that's going to happen and cracker of a dividend going forward as well. Mm. So I do think that our market will be okay. I do think that everything will be, you know, will be business as usual. 
But look, certainly the, the backdrop of inflation and interest rates is going to temper markets in the second half of this year. Yeah. The interesting thing is this. Ukraine war has, has added uh, momentum to commodity prices. Let's yeah. imagine within two or three months they come to some agreement and it, and it ceases. You expect commodity prices to come off the boil, but then I guess the, the view then would be, well, the economic rebound that we've been expecting in 2022, that will kick in. Do you think that will actually um, underpin commodity prices? They, they might come off the boil, but they'll still be pretty good, won't they, for 2022? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, iron ore, let's use that as an example, at 160 bucks a tonne, you know, probably can't stay up here, but certainly would sit over $100 a tonne uh, oil price, obviously, you know, you'd expect it to stay around $100, maybe you go down to 80 That still boisters a lot of those uh, those commodity prices as well. Gold's starting to have a little bit of a kick today, and that was interesting on the floor. We were talking about some of those, go those gold stocks, and you're really starting to break out a little bit going forward as well. So, yeah, look, earnings I was actually pretty impressed with last season as far as the last half. Uh, earnings going forward, I was pretty impressed with what was going on there. So I do think that our, our, our earnings will underpin a lot of our uh, non-commodity stocks, mm. certainly our tech stocks and one of your favourites there, Peter Tyro, just can't continue to, can't get, uh, can't see some blue sky mm. uh, at the moment. But some of our tech stocks are probably where there's the most value that we'll start to see in, in, in our market. But look, certainly overall, commodities will be the shining light in the next coming couple of months, that's for okay. sure. All right, so uh, we noticed that Linus um, <clears throat> and lithium stocks copped it recently. Is this like a, a buying opportunity, a bit of a breather for these? Well, you know, we're, uh, with the backdrop that we just spoke about, um, yeah, I do think that uh, certainly lithium and I do think that um, uh, a lot of the rare earth commodities uh, are looking very, very good. We did see our Lucas starting to potentially move into that space, and that's obviously kicked that share price up a little bit as well. Um, you know, I, I do think overall um, the rare earths, lithium, uh, cobalt, nickel, those kinds of businesses will continue to do well with the backdrop of battery technology, which I don't think is going to go away no matter what the economy is doing. So, you know, I, I think that there's some really good ones there. The ones I really like is IGO, obviously trying to take over Western areas at the moment. So there's a little bit of backwards and forwards going on with that. I like Alchem, AKE. That's the merger between Galaxy and Oracobra. They're starting to get their or hit their straps, and that's actually look, starting to look pretty good as well. And then Mineral Resources is another one which has got Old World, which has got the iron ore, but then has also got the lithium inside of that as yeah. well, which is the New World. So you get a bit of a mixture of a, of a both in in Mineral Resources. So there's there's a couple of stocks that I really like in yeah. that space yeah. at the moment. Yeah, Mineral Resources had a nice run and. Uh... Yeah, very yeah, nice. Very nice run. Let's just go and look at um, a company like Fisher & Paykel. Now, a lot, some people think it's a, a company that makes for fridges, but it's really become a healthcare company, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it certainly has. Well, they do make fridges, so, you yeah. know, I mean, you're, you know, you're somewhat right. Yeah. Look, I, I think overall Fisher & Paykel is in, in a bit of a downgrade cycle at the moment. They did come out to the market and say some of their healthcare stuff wasn't looking as good and then there was potential that there was a further downgrade that was going to happen on Fisher & Paykel. I'd be a little bit cautious on this one. I think that there's more to come on the downside. So I'd be cautious. Um, I wouldn't slap a buy on this one at the moment. I know there's a couple of brokers that have been brave and, and stuck some buys on it because they think it's oversold at the moment. I'd just be a little bit cautious. 
I'm a little bit concerned about that healthcare side of things and there's a mismatch between what's going on. Obviously, we've got to look at the Aussie dollar strength as well. That usually bodes well for some of our healthcare stocks. So just be careful. The market seems to be discounting this one a little bit. And even today, did break, um, I forget the level, but it did break uh, a little bit lower as well. So I think there's further to come on this one. So I'd be cautious for clients on that. I'd, uh, I'm not going to slap a sell on it, but I'd just be very, very careful at the moment. Okay. We're in our Boom, Doom and Zoom show last Thursday. Someone asked us about a company called Alcidium Corp, ALC. Now, I threw it your way. Have you come up with any view on this company? Yeah, look, I actually uh, replied saying that, no, I don't really know too much about this one. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to stay out of the boom doom session. And so I don't know anything about that one. OK, right. Now, but you did mention in your email to me, Wally, is it because you like Wally or because you don't like Wally? It's no Wally I, I like. I think that uh, we, we, there's a couple of things with Wally. Obviously, oil and gas engineering is going to go continue. We haven't seen a lot of greenfields exploration uh, coming in the oil and gas space. And if, if oil price stays over $100, I think this one is an absolute steal uh, to, to be buying around that $14 mark. The stock's been $26. It got down to a lot lower than that now, starting to climb back really nicely. And in fact, it's just, you know, inching up. And I like that. It doesn't, you know, doesn't go parabolic. It's actually just inching up quite nicely. But really what I do like about this one is the green transition that everyone's talking about by 2050, everybody has to have this sort of green uh, uh, tinge to it or ESG tinge. Um, and now that's around about 6% of Wally's revenue at the moment or engineering side of things for green assets. We expect that to double, uh, to triple, even to, to double, sorry, triple, quadruple uh, <laughs> that, you know, uh, by 2030, 2040. So their revenue is going to be uh, cer certainly lifted up uh, on the back of that green energy transition. Now, the market has said to us that, that basically there needs to be around about $3 billion uh, a year spent on energy transitions to get to by 2050. And, and Wally is going to definitely take advantage of, of some of that going forward. So, yeah, Wally's a really good stock. It's, I'm not going to say it's safe, but it's certainly one of those ones that I'm really comfortable with. It's got the ESG backdrop but also oil and gas uh, engineering uh, should do well. So I'm really comfortable with Wallys at the moment. Okay, I'm going to call it the Doors Destroyer stock. <laughs> <laughs> All the right, one that's going done. To... <laughs> <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to come back in three months or we're going to come back in, uh, in three years? Which one would you like? <laughs> um, I think most of our viewers would love to see the, the, a big share rebound. Uh, Big share spike in three months, mate. Three months. All right. Well, let's do it. In three months' time. Let's see where we are. We're about fourteen dollars at the moment. Yeah. Let's hope that uh, we can see. Let's hope we can see a, a two in front of it. Yeah. Okay. All right, buddy. Good to talk to you. All right. Take care. Thank you. See you in a couple of weeks' time. Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners. Joining me now is Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. And here's an issue a lot of people have been asking me. Is it too late to pick up on the big miners, you know, to invest in them right now? Paul's got a view on this. Great to see you, Paul. Thanks, Peter. How are you? Great. Now, mate, um, you know, let, let's blow our own trumpet. We, we like BHP and Rio and Fortescue when the, 
The share price was down about three or four months ago and it's, it has recovered nicely. Um, and a lot of people are asking me, and I'm sure they're asking you as well, is it too late to get on the, the rising share price for the big miners? What's your view? Yeah, look, I don't think it's too late, Peter. I think it a little bit depends on just how you position. So that uh, I think the big change that still a lot of investors haven't fully appreciated is that BHP is now more than 11.5% of the index. So that uh, if five, only 5% 5 of your portfolio is in BHP, you're very underweight BHP. And I think a lot of individual investors are still way underweight. So uh, if you're underweight and, and we're in, a, in an environment where you know, commodity prices are still rising and are strong uh, and the, the outlook for global economic growth is still positive, then if you're underweight, then I don't think it's too late. I think yeah. if you're fully invested, well, you know, just as you and I were buying at $37, $38 and it's now $51, we can afford to be a bit more choosy. So mm. it's a little bit comes down to just how you're positioned uh, as to, I think, how you play, right. play it. So, so for the long-term investor who wants to and make sure his or her portfolio is well adjusted for the future. You're saying buying the likes of BHP now is not a high risk strategy for the long-term investor. But what about the short term? As we have that sort of person watching the mm -hmm. program, Paul, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, if over the next two or three months, the Ukraine war gets sorted out, do you think iron ore prices would come off the boil and therefore the, the BHP share price might pull back a bit. Not a lot, but still pull back. What, what's your view on that? Yeah, look, I, I think that's, you put it very nicely, Peter. I think for the long-term investor, it's not too late. For the short-term investor, you can possibly be a little more choosy. Hmm. I'm not sure anyone really understands why the iron ore price got to over $200 in the first place, hmm. went back to the low 90s, you know, it fell yeah. out by more than 50% because China started to talk it down. And now it's about 160 yeah. And if anyone could explain just what's happened there, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is certainly a price that's uh, a lot of different forces. And I won't say yeah. it's manipulated, but certainly there are competing interests. And it's probably not a true reflection of the long-term uh, underlying price. Yeah. So most analysts still expect uh, iron ore price to come back. But in the short term, you know, we're seeing strong demand still. Uh, and we're seeing you know, an environment where potentially, you know, China's in lockup. So that's yeah. what makes it even more surprising. Yeah. So I guess you could probably say, well, maybe uh, we've got to the 50s, a bit of a pullback might be in order, uh, be patient. Uh, that would seem to make sense. But uh, look, I think that's one way you can look at it, Peter. Well, well, Paul, before the Ukraine war, we always expected that there would be a, a global economic rebound and that was going to be good for commodity prices. We also expected China to come out of lockdown. And we're kind of wrong on, on China. It's gone back into lockdown. Yeah. And we, were, we, we, we didn't know about the Ukraine war. So we've got the, the payoff uh, pretty because of the Ukraine war. Um, but when the Ukraine war is over and China is out of lockdown, then our old thesis would still be relevant that there's going to be a big global economic rebound and they will buy... Iron ore, won't they? But the, the, probably the price won't be 200. Yeah, but I mean, that should be good for, for global growth, Peter. So it's very hard to actually put a number, explain what's going on at the moment. And right. uh, so that's why I'm a bit wary. But I, I think that the trend, you know, still play the trend. The trend is up. Yeah. And so... <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about the dog.
Seriously. Tell me, you've got that sign by window. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll make, we'll make the, the interview even more interesting. All right. Uh. Well, I think it's very hard to know, Peter, exactly um, what the impact of the Ukrainian war is on the supply and just generally with what's going on in commodities prices. But I think your thesis is right. If China comes out of lockdown and Ukraine war is, I won't say resolved, but at least sort of, uh, you know, ceases to be sort of a burning issue, uh, then you'd expect global economic growth to continue to accelerate. Okay. And theoretically, that should be good for commodity prices. So I still think the, the external factors are with you. And you've got to remember that uh, in all these things, the trend is your friend and the trend on commodity prices is still strong. Uh, and that's why it makes sense to at least have a market weight position in these stocks. Yeah. Um, Paul, uh, a few weeks ago, you, you did make the call on Magellan and basically the day you called, it's done really well. And I guess some questions people are asking, has the jump from $14 to where it is, I guess it's over $16 now, do you think that's enough to make you think that maybe the worst is behind Magellan? Not to say that it's going to keep on rising, but maybe that $14 price was probably the bottom? Yeah, look, I mean, Peter, the next day it rallied about 10% and uh, has been pretty good for the last week or so. Helped upon by, I guess, um, you know, people like um, Perpetual looking at Pendle, which is another big fund manager and saying there was value there. So that's mm. the whole fund manager market. My, my thesis was really two things, Peter. First of all, I basically said that it was still a falling knife it hadn't bottomed and mm. secondly i said that uh you know that the, the signs of it bottoming would be when you saw the performance of the fund in, as, a, as an investment manager improve mm. now what the market got excited about last week was some slightly better um uh, or some data not as bad as as uh, in terms of uh, funds outflow and also got excited about the uh you know, the perpetual move from Pendle. And thirdly, I think that maybe they're, they're speculating that uh, performance has improved. I think mm. if those things are in place, then Magellan looks like good value. Mm. So like everything in life, you get the timing wrong. But I don't think I've yet seen the data suggest that the performance uh, has turned the corner. Yeah. Uh, and I'm waiting till then. So that would be still my words of caution. Um, yeah. Look, it was probably oversold. Uh, we've had some yeah, we always said it was value. Yeah. The question was, is this the right time to buy? Yeah. And, and Paul, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you say around mid-April there's going to be some uh, results on, on recent investment performance? Well, we should know soon. I mean, and maybe that's already in the market. I mean, um, they, they, they will produce in the next uh, week or so, I think, but probably by the end, mm -hmm. the end of this week, uh, they'll start to show some performance figures for their global fund. Uh, and that'll tell us exactly how that is in the month of March and how, how they're starting to track. So yeah. what we do know is that um, when Chris Mackay went in there and reviewed the positions, he said he was pretty happy with most of their big positions. So we don't expect too much change. Uh, and it could well be that uh, we've seen that improvement. But I suspect that uh, we've just got to see that data. Mm. Uh, and while Magellan might have bounced, it may not have bounced. This might be the, the sort of the bottom forming part of the uh, of the bounce part. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Okay, no, and I've got to say, when you get a stock that's been clobbered, I prefer to miss the first 5 or 7% before I go in. So by mid-April, we, sh we should have a clearer uh, view on the company. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. That's Paul Rickard of The Switzer Report.
And that's Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. Don't forget, if you want to become a subscriber, go to switzerreport.com.au and there you'll see a lot of the stocks that we don't talk about in this TV show, the more, I guess we call a deeper analysis of different stocks by a different group of experts. Uh, that's switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. See you on Thursday.